Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and I co-host this program with Nathan Lear. Um, we're proudly brought to you by Hewison Private Wealth, who's one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. The objective of this podcast is really to improve financial literacy and financial awareness. Uh, this week we do something a little bit different. We bring in one of our um, co-directors and private client advisors, Chris Morecambe. Um, we've all recently just returned from an overseas study tour to the US where we visited um, a couple of investment managers and also attended the Morningstar Investment Conference. So we have a bit of a chat about some key takeouts from that trip. Um, just to remind everyone, this podcast is of a general nature, so please don't rush out and um, put into place any of the things that we've spoken about and always seek um, independent advice. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, once again, um, I'm Nathan and I'm here with Glenn to have a discussion about some takeouts that we uh, had from a, a recent experience with an investment management company from the based out of uh, Laguna Beach in California. So Glenn and I are here with our colleague Chris, who was also uh, part of the, the meeting with us. So all the Hewison um, Private Wealth Partners went along to this trip. Um, so as I mentioned, WCM is an investment firm based out of Laguna Beach in California. Um, they manage around $36 billion US dollars, so they're quite a, a sizable firm. Just from the outset, we want to make it clear that we're not necessarily recommending that you um, go and buy uh, or try and access WCM's investment portfolio following this discussion. It's more just a bit of a discussion about some of the, the takeouts and lessons lessons that we learned from, from meeting with a high-quality firm of this nature, um, high-quality firm. So I'll, what I'll do, I'll, I'll hand over to Chris perhaps to, to start the discussion. So Chris Morecambe, another, another Hewison advisor and, and partner, just in terms of some of your key lessons from, from this meeting. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Nathan. I think the, um, the key thing that um, came out of our meeting uh, was the way in which WCM look at the businesses in which they're going to invest is um, a little bit different to what uh, other investment managers do. You know, everyone's got access to the same financial information that are in markets. You know, the, you can't really get a competitive advantage today in investment markets by just analysing publicly available information. So you, they've recognised you need to do a bit more work, and. One of the things, or the key part of their strategy around investment is looking at the um, competitive advantage that their companies that they're investing in have. And, and, and what they look at is the, the um, and they call that a moat, so the competitive advantage being their moat. And what they're looking to do is invest in companies with a growing competitive advantage. Um, and what they refer to is a, a positive moat trajectory. So that, 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 that competitive advantage is actually growing over time. Um, that's one. That's I suppose the first part of that process, and they can use financial uh, metrics to to analyse that. Um, but then they go a step further and then look at the culture of those businesses. Uh, it's their strong held belief that uh, if you've got a culture within those businesses of um, supporting that growth of competitive advantage over time, then it's more likely that the outcome is going to be the, that the moat trajectory is going to remain positive for a much for an extended period. Whereas, um, if the culture is not supportive of that economic that, that growth of that um, moat, then you're going to potentially see it fade off 
um, towards lower rates of return in the future, and that'll affect company valuations in the future. And I suppose the the good example that they used was comparing Costco with with Walmart, whereas where Costco's view was that if you have happy staff, then that reflects in I suppose higher earnings, higher sales. So I suppose it was one of those metrics that was outside of a financial metric, wasn't it? It was sort of digging a little bit deeper and saying, okay, how can we differentiate these two organisations and dig a little bit deeper and something that's outside of probably the norm that most investors would probably identify. Whereas, that, as I said, they use that analogy saying that they spend a lot of time making sure that their um, staff are happy because if you've got happy staff, then they're obviously going to provide a good service. So it was just a different way of um, identifying investment opportunities and identifying value, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And they also mentioned that the, um, the, one of the outcomes uh, of that approach is that it actually pr- provides protection um, f- for investors' wealth when markets fall. You know, as we all know, it's inevitable that share markets are going to go through up periods and they're also going to go through down periods. So um, their analysis has shown that their, their portfolio is um, probably only going to fall by about 50% of what the market does when the markets drop. Um, but on the upside, it's probably only going to rise you know, to 110% of what the market rises. So they're not necessarily going to super outperform when markets are rising, but they certainly protect investors on the downsides. And the, re- the reality is if you're protecting the downside, then you don't have to have stupendous returns to, um, to outperform. That's right. This whole discussion around culture, I wouldn't mind delving a little bit deeper there because culture, I mean, we've spoken about this internally within our business. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a difficult thing to define. And even when we met with WCM, they, they spoke a lot about some of the work they've done trying to really break down culture and understand, like, firstly, what is culture? And uh, I think just before I throw over to you guys, I think one of the things that they said, they, they'll often ask uh, CEOs, um, what what culture is, how they define their business's culture, and if they give them a, a standardised answer, they they feel like they can see it straight away. Um, yeah, so just just on the cold, wouldn't mind digging a bit deeper into the culture piece. Like, what do you, what do you guys take out from from? I mean, we spoke about we spoke about Costco, and I think Glenn, you just brought up that um, they they treat their staff better. Um, they offer offer better medical benefits and other perks, such as helping their staff relocate to other cities. So that's that's probably one that's probably one example of of, of culture. But I think that you know they've done a, a body of work in terms of every every company that they're looking to invest in. They really want to understand the culture, and not just you know what is their culture. Um, they, they're gonna they're gonna speak to the CEO, speak to management. Even with a Costco example, I know they said that they actually go to the, you know, they actually go to the stores themselves and and witness the experience that they have. So yeah, I just found that a. I'm not sure if you guys any, have any more comments around the culture piece, but I just found that really interesting. Yeah, uh, I think the uh, thing that stuck with me was the extent that they go to. So when they're looking at a company to invest in a company, they'll you know do all the financial metrics that all managers do. Then they'll uh, start the invest- They'll have the meetings with the senior management and CEOs to look at you know ask them questions around um, cultural you know as well as business performance. But they'll be delving deeper into the culture of the business, and they've got a standardised questionnaire now that they um, they and those questions have been um, in, I suppose researched properly and, and they to tease out the the importance of the culture from the senior management. 
But then they, they, they also remember that they talked about the, um, the, uh, the water cooler sort of conversation. So going off and talking to ex-employees and suppliers and, and customers and, and, and finding out about the culture from those people. And sometimes you can find out more about uh, a business and, and the opinions of a business from those types of sources as well. And they take the effort to go and have those conversations. And I think one of the greatest advantages that I think they, they spoke about from an organisation that's got a, a strong culture is that, as you were saying, Chris, it's, you know, we, we've spoken a little bit about the um, advantages of this active investment management versus passive. And I suppose in more recent times, there's been a tendency for people to be attracted to the passive style of investment because markets have been doing really, really well and people are looking for the best overall net return. But it's only when markets go against you that you really need to look at how your funds are being invested because arguably it, the organisations with good culture um, are likely to probably do better in a downturn, aren't they? Because they get perhaps greater loyalty. Like if you're looking at the example with Costco, if a customer is going to, to a company like that to do their shopping, they're more likely to be loyal um, if, if they're getting that high experience. So I suppose this you don't get that sort of value perhaps through a more passive investment style um, because, I mean, we've probably said a few times, anyone can make money in a rising market. Um, and that's where when you're looking at where you're, where you're investing your money to really not only look at who's going to do well when markets are going up, but who's going to protect my wealth and what strategies do they have in place that can protect my wealth in, in a down market. So I think that was one of the things that I felt um, strengthened their case was looking beyond just fundamentals, but looking at areas that they can protect um, their investment cap or their clients' investment capital in the down market. Yeah, and I think um, the work that they've done on their own business was in pretty impressive as well. So not only the way in which they go about uh, researching companies for investing clients' money, but the, um, the way in which they've done an enormous amount of work and focused on their own business to make sure that uh, internally they're making good decisions. Uh, they yeah, they're practising what they preach, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They talked about having small groups, uh, four to five people um, to make decisions rather than having a sort of management by committee uh, they talked about um, you know that um, having a sort of a definable culture in their business was really important to them and they they defined their culture um, in two ways one of being grateful for the opportunity to help other people become wealthy and also in the process uh, obviously they make money but also um, they don't lose sight of the fact that they want to have fun doing what they're doing as well and it's pretty hard not to have fun in that location i can tell you yeah that's actually <laughs> what i was going to say chris like you you hear the you know life by design sort of phrase you know where you sort of design your life or your work around the things that you you, you enjoy doing and you know having the trek down to laguna beach beautiful part of the world they've effectively designed their business around that lifestyle haven't they where it's you know they find it i suppose quite easy to attract good people because they've got a very relaxed um, environment. I mean, when you think of a company managing 35 billion US, you're probably thinking, you know, a few stiffs in suits and ties. But when you walk in, people are walking around in shorts and, shorts and shirt and thongs, very relaxed atmosphere, but still very professional. Um, so I think that sort of embeds in their culture as well, isn't it? Is having something different that can attract people as well. Oh, absolutely. And they're also humble. They're incredibly yeah. humble. You know, we're meeting... You know, we've flown all the way over there and they were prepared to spend quite a number of hours with us um, just sharing some time with us and, and explaining 
their processes and how they go about things and their business. They're quite open to talk to us about their business. I think that really struck me, the, 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 the level of how humble they were about all that. And, and very interested, I mean, I made the comment when we were there to you guys that they were very interested in us, like asking us where we're from, how, how's our trip been? Um, and I often think back to myself when I've got my head down at work, you know, sometimes you just want to get your work done. But but uh, I think the culture, you know, culture once again, really showed through with, for them that they were really you know, basically good people. And just in terms of their, their, their location, we were speaking about um, and the lifestyle by design. Another thing that they've, they've come out and said is that um, – they, they like being away from, say, Wall Street or other financial centers in the US because as an investor, you always get uh, caught up by the, the noise around you. And if you're in New York, Wall Street, for example, you know, you're getting a coffee, you're having lunches with other people from other businesses, you know, you get caught up in all the noise. So they, that, they use that as a competitive advantage for their business being away from all the distractions and, and the noise. Yeah, and I think... Um you know, just bringing it back to their investment process, I think the um, the two comments that I made a note of when we were in that meeting, uh, one was uh, win by not losing. Uh, I think so, you know, when you're thinking about investment, um, if you lose money in, on your investments, um, you're then going to have to make a significantly higher return just to get back to square one, let alone to then make money. So if you can not lose money, um, that's a re- you're, you're actually a, a, a long way down the track. Um, and then a, as a, an extension of that is to protect the downside um, whilst staying in for the upside. So I think that, uh, you know, if, if you were to pick sort of two statements, that's a... Um, uh, a great way to summarize their approach i think yeah just on that lose money thing obviously i think they even brought this up in the meeting warren buffett's famous quote rule one don't lose money and rule number two don't don't forget rule number one and and if you do if you do lose um 50 on an investment and need, we all know with the way the maths work works it needs to grow by 100 percent just to get back to break even so i think that's why their returns have been so good over a long period of time because they you know genuinely care about uh, protecting the downside and and the strength of that manager will come through in a in a tough market yeah and i think that that's where one thing i'd encourage anyone to look at is not just look at past returns because as i was saying earlier you could look at one fund and compare it to the next and think oh well this fund's outperforming the last three to five years i'll go with that one um, but you also need to take into account what the market's done over that period of time and it may just be a theme that, that's quite strong there could be a high risk theme so if we look at Australia in the last couple of years, yes, our market's done quite well, but it's on the back of strength in resource stocks. So you might be looking at you know, a more passive style investment or, or even an active fund that, that um, has returns very closely aligned to what the market's doing. That Yes, it might have outperformed in the short term, but it may not be in your best interest to have that sort of fund long, time, long, long term. Um, so I think total performance should be a consideration but that's where what I, th- I suppose what we're talking about is other things that you really need to look at when you're trying to identify if, if you're looking at fund managers, which funds are best for you longer term um, and looking at their key messages like what we were saying with WCM, the number one thing is protecting capital. It's not about doubling their, their clients' money overnight. It's not about you know outperforming significantly what the market's doing. It's about looking at good quality businesses that have competitive advantage that, that are growing their competitive advantage, not just looking at a company that might have that large moat or large competitive advantage today, but it's, it's tightening. Um, and in the end, you know, looking at those opportunities that can protect their clients, not only when markets are going up, but really when it's going down. And that's where their value would, would really come through. 
Yeah, I think the um, the uh, the way in which they funnel down their focus too. So they're not trying to do be all things to everyone. You know, as I said, there's something like 100, over a hundred thousand listed companies in the world. You, there's no way you can you know do that sort of level of research on that many companies. So um, having that minimum size co- investment com- of about three to four billion. Um, that sort of funnels down their approach a bit. So they, they are looking at large companies when they're looking at their investments. But then, you know, looking at the growing moats and what, they, they bring it down to around about 400 companies that they have to in research, which isn't too bad amongst the staff they've got. And so it does mean that they can get some really detailed research. Yeah, and they, they don't make macro calls. They're not really too concerned about the macroeconomic environment. They... When they have, when they filter their companies down to the the the, the two hundred and fifty odd perhaps that they really hone in on, it's a bottom up approach. They're actually looking into these companies in great detail and not too worried about you know interest rates or whatever else might be going on in terms of the macroeconomic environment. Yeah, and they, um, you know, you mentioned a Warren Buffett quote before about um, the uh, not losing money. The other one that he often is uh, attributed to is you know buy an asset and put it in the door, um, top drawer and forget about it for ten years. And one of the things that WCM look for is um, for businesses that they want to own for ten plus years. It's a, it's a, they want to be able to have this in their portfolio for in excess of ten years when they make these decisions. Sure, I mean, and I just said before, you know, in terms of the macroeconomic environment. It's not a huge focus for them, but they, of course they're on top of the the current landscape. And I mean, one thing that, that come up in our discussions were the e-commerce environment changing significantly uh, in in recent times. Obviously, Amazon is the the the, the big example there. Um, and it, it you know it, with the shared economy, it, it is a lot easier for uh, newer companies to come in and and compete. Uh, you know, think of Ubers and things like that. So, yeah, obviously you still need to be aware of the um, environment that, that you're operating in. Uh, maybe we, we touched on earlier just the uh, growing, the, the moat concept. And, and obviously just to just to quickly reiterate what that is, think of the old castle days where you built a castle then you'd, you'd build a, a moat around that with water to, uh, to, I guess, fend off intruders from coming in. So it's a common concept which is used in, in the investment world, kind of Warren Buffett, kind of run with it for what's been a key a key measure that he speaks about over over years gone by um but they've kind of taken it to a new level with a growing competitive advantage and one one example that really resonated with me that they they spoke about was was nokia so nokia used to be i think it was the fourth biggest company in the world um some i don't know some 15 20 years ago perhaps um at that point in time they had a 52 percent market share uh for mobile phones so 52 percent so a lot of investment managers uh, didn't see this coming because obviously Apple Apple come along and, and started to slowly get market share and at the time they thought it was just, you know, uh, I think the expression was just nibbling at their heels. You know, they might get a little bit more. And so Nokia's market share might have been 52% and then a year later it might have gone down to, say, 49%. Um, but this just kept, this kept happening and, and obviously today nokia is a shadow of its former self so it just shows you that you can invest in a big business but it really needs to be one it can be big but it needs to be growing its competitive advantage otherwise you can get yourself in trouble yeah and i think just on that that, that's where the term value trap comes isn't it because one of the examples that they spoke about was even when their market share was reducing people were looking at thinking oh this is cheap now because the share price is coming off so you can get caught in that trap where you see a company that's had massive market share and just because they're getting 
or their share price is reducing doesn't necessarily mean that they're cheap. So you need to be, I suppose, really aware. And that, that's where the the um, the moat category becomes important because, yeah, they may have had a moat, but if that moat is deteriorating as their share price falls, they might not be good value. And we've seen what's happened with Nokia where their market share went from 50% plus to basically zero now. Yeah, and their share price collapsed by 92%. So it was a... Yeah, you you would not have wanted to to be um, falling into that trap. Sure. Uh, before we wrap up, is there any any other key key takeouts from from the discussion? Or oh, I think um, just a quick one, um, which probably goes into some of the other conversations we had um, after this particular meeting um, w- with the rest of our trip. But um, the environmental, social, and governance measures that a lot of people are starting to talk about now. Um, WCM look at that as being fundamental to a good business. Um, so, and they they actually set, they don't actually have a specific measure for environmental, social, and governance issues when they're looking at companies because they said really it's pretty hard to measure what consistently well. Um, and companies can game the system, and uh, and sometimes the issues that are coming up in those measures that may be conceptually bad actually good because of the outcome. And there was a couple of examples which I actually can't recall off the top of my head now, but they were. Um, I suppose that the takeout from that is whilst you know there's a probably a bit of a flavor of the month to be looking at um, these types of factors and which is you know probably a good thing um, in actual sense it's probably a bit of work to, to be done um, around proper measurements of these factors before you make fundamental um, decisions on them yeah look I, I agree because I, I think that that was a massive theme coming out of the states and, and they're probably some way ahead of us in that whole ESG so the environmental social governments, um, side of things when looking at investment and and that's what we do plan to have a, a further discussion about um, I suppose in part two of this um, podcast relating to our overseas trip um, a bit of an investment study tour so look no doubt that was a massive theme coming out of the US and we'll have a further discussion on that um, later in the week excellent well thank you we'll wrap up there so thanks everybody for listening we hope you enjoyed this week's episode just to quickly recap we uh, the Hewson private wealth partners recently went on a on a, a trip to the to the US and we met with WCM which is an investment management firm based out of Laguna Beach in California um, some of the key uh, key takeouts from this meeting was the the fact that they spent a lot of time on the whole culture piece not only their internal culture but when they're investing in in companies they they really try to uncover the culture of those businesses which has resulted in them delivering um, quite satisfactory uh, re- returns over the past you know 15 20 years um, with a with a real key focus on uh, protecting the downside so during tough markets it's when they it's when they generally um, perform uh, better than their their competitors um, also they look to invest in companies with competitive advantages so uh, they have a growing moat and that's also been uh, beneficial for their um, the how they manage um, put their, their portfolios um, so yeah, we hope you, hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we look forward to having you next week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, please, as we always say, check out Hewson Private Wealth at our website, which is www.hewson.com.au. You can also find us via the various social media platforms, so Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, we'd also really appreciate if you leave feedback, um, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, Once again, hope you enjoyed the podcast and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week.